Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. As always, thank you for tuning in. You guys are fantastic. Your support means the world to me. I know I say this every single time. You're probably sick of hearing me say that, but truly we wouldn't be where we're at without your support. So I want you to know I love you and I'm grateful for your uh, you believing in me. I want to thank our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Thread Wallets. You guys are amazing. The music you listen to at the very beginning of this and the music you'll hear at the end is my, my, by my good friend Paul Cardall. He's an award-winning pianist. He's got 25 million active listeners every month, and he's allowed me to use this music, and he's, he's one of my heroes. So thank you to Paul Cardall. And we just, we just have this great setup. And more importantly, it's the amazing people that I bring on every week. And you guys know that. It's not about me. It's about these amazing people. And today's going to be no different. Today we are joined by Mandy Jorosher. Hopefully I said that close. Close, <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for being here, by the way. You're so welcome. We've been I'm trying honored. to do this for a minute now, I right? I know, I know. <laughs> but actually, I think the timing is perfect because I'm actually coming up on my seven years of wow. sobriety Congratulations. on March 12th, so. Congrats. Yeah. And knowing what you've been through, and, and listeners, you're in for, you know, buckle up. But for what you've been through and to be able to say that now, how cool yeah. is that? Oh, my gosh. I never thought. Never thought that would mm-hmm. even be possible, right? No. So um, I've I've met you through Dave, uh, mm-hmm. your husband, who is the managing operating director at uh, the Other Side Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had Dave on a few times, and you know a lot of people know Dave, but now we get to know his better half, mm-hmm. the better part of Dave. Sorry, Dave, but that's the truth. They call me the softer side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the softer side. Yeah. So no, I think the world of both of you guys. I hope you guys know that you guys, both of you, are just amazing people who are, you know, not only trying to do good things, but just the way you carry yourself, you know, very confident. Um, we all have our struggles, as we all know. But from what you've been through, like we said, uh, to, to have you here to be able to share that today is going to be amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's a lot I could read. Your your bio is amazing. But I want I want our listeners just to hear it from you because of you know just it, it comes across so much better obviously so why don't we start you you were born uh, in California mm-hmm. and why don't we just start there where you know tell us about your family tell us about how you were as a little kid okay so I was born in California but I have only one memory in California because we moved from there when I was two years old oh okay so um, so really young yeah. yes yes we moved from California to Park City. Okay. When I was two. And um, we lived in Park City from uh, 1978 to 1986. Okay. And um, that was a really special place to grow up. Yeah, Park, Park City. City's beautiful. Yeah. 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 It was uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> we lived there on the golf course. Um, and my parents built their tre- their dream home. And we lived next door to Mrs. Fields for Mrs. Fields Cookies. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a fun little fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my very young years was were very privileged, and I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, because it's all you knew. Yeah, yeah, that's all I knew. But looking back, very privileged. Um, 
it was a really special place to grow up. Um, if you were a child in, in elementary or junior high or high school there in Park City, you yeah. got seasons passes to ski oh, every man. single year for oh, I didn't know $98. That. Yeah, unlimited seasons passes. And so <laughs> three of my brothers worked at the, um, at the resort. And, you know, it just kind of was our way of life. And I could yeah. run around on the golf course and play with my friends and drive the golf carts and ride the free buses everywhere and wow. ride my bikes you know, all over town. And it was kind of just this very free wow. life as a little girl. For sure. Yeah. So do you have siblings? I do. I have, um, I'm the youngest of five. Okay. And I have um, a sister. Uh, there's 14 and a half years between us. Oh, and man. then three boys between us. Okay. So yeah, but yeah. I'm I'm far behind. I was. They call me the bonus baby. <laughs> and right. So I was that one that happened when they didn't think that could happen anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. So wow. Yeah. Park City is a beautiful place, and I can imagine. Yeah. Again, you're a kid. You don't know any different. But yeah, looking yeah. back, you're probably going, man. Yeah. I had a I had a good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a really lot did. of good things going on. Well, even even though things were good, I know at a very young age you started mm-hmm. having some struggles, and I think it even started as early as ten years old. It did. So why don't we just start from there and just kind of tell us what was going on and what you were experiencing, and we'll we'll kind of take it from there. Well, I would say that it probably started. My parents started um, having financial problems um, mm. when I was probably about seven or eight, and we lost our home. The one in oh, Park City, and okay. um, yeah. and we moved a couple of different places temporarily and whatever, and and then my dad's job transferred us to Arizona, and all of my siblings were pretty much grown at this point, yeah. and they all stayed here in Utah and went on with their lives, and mom and dad and I went to Arizona, and wow, I, that had to have know, been tough. It, yeah, I I don't think that I had really ever even been out of Utah at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't have any memories of like going on family trips or anything like that to be yeah. going out of Utah. And so the first time that I went out of Utah was moving to this place called Mesa, Arizona, you know? Right. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, when we moved there, um, it was very lonely and very isolating. Yeah. Um, I really struggled to make friends. Yeah. And um, with my parents going through financial problems, um, I didn't. I didn't have, we didn't really have the money at that time for me to kind of keep up with all of the, uh, the trends in clothing and things right, like that. Yeah. And so, um, even though my young, young years were very privileged, you know, past about the age of 10, it was really difficult for many years. Yeah. Things changed quickly. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I come from a really, uh, strong LDS family. Okay. And, um, we moved into, uh, an apartment complex that was part of a very wealthy ward. Hmm. And that was kind of that was kind of a difficult dynamic, you know, because right. I was the poor girl in the rich world, in oh, the wow. rich ward, yeah. if you will. Um, so anyway, I struggled to make friends. I gained a fair amount of weight um, around that time, and really started to struggle with depression and feelings of worthiness, and like even sure, even yeah. asking my mom things like, you know. How can you love me? Why do you love me? Mm, you know, yeah. um, and feeling unworthy of that, you know. Well, you know, I, it's it's hard enough to move when you're younger. I think just again because you mm-hmm. leave your friends and stuff, but your siblings even stayed back. Yes, they did. So I can see why you would feel like alone, mm-hmm. like even more so because mm-hmm. you don't even have, you know, your siblings to to hang right. out with or do stuff with, even though they were a little older than you. Yeah. 
but I, I would imagine that played a role as well. I'm sure it did. I'm absolutely sure it did. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and the other thing is you went from one extreme to the next, you know, this, all this privileged stuff, Park mm-hmm. City, you know, the place is amazing. Not that, not that Arizona isn't, but different uh, financial situation. Absolutely. And now all of a sudden, even as a young kid, you noticed it. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. So you felt depressed and that kind of thing. Did you did you know what you were dealing with? Did you tell anyone at that time, or, um, or is it probably mostly just my mom? I think that I probably didn't understand that I was depressed. Um, but you know, like I said, I I would say to my mom that I that I didn't understand why she loved me and and what was there to love about me and I had crooked teeth and mm. I was gaining weight yeah. and, you know and they would make comments about those kinds of things oh, yeah. and so I felt very embarrassed and unworthy and um so so yeah that was that was a rough a rough time but then uh, as time went on I did start to make friends I did start to um kind of find my way there and um and I did quite well in junior high okay. and um, made the cheerleading squad in uh, oh, for ninth wow. grade, which was which was really fun. Yeah, right. Um, it was fun until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I say that because uh, that was that was kind of the start of my eating disorder. Okay. So um, around the age of fourteen, um, I fell into anorexia. Mm. And, well, I don't know that I fell into it, but um, I became very determined to lose weight and be a flyer on the cheer squad instead of a base. Oh, okay. And um, I became very obsessive about mm. that. And my whole world became around, or uh, started being revolved around what I would eat and what I wouldn't eat. And Gotcha. And all of that. And Did you notice that that, because I know it's pretty common, I hate to say that, it mm-hmm. just is with with girls growing up that they want to do those things. Did you know other of your maybe friends and other people on the cheer team that were doing what you were doing or did you kind of no. not know any of that? Just doing I was it? very alone in that. Okay. Um, all of, I was on a cheer squad that was full of girls that were very, um, very experienced dancers. Mm. And so their whole lives were about dancing okay. and, and fitness and they were all very, you know, they hadn't really struggled with the weight problem that I had, had struggled with. Um, and when I say weight problem, um, I gained like maybe 20 or 30 pounds in, in three or four years. Yeah. But I was going through puberty too. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it was all part of that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I was by today's standards, by no means was I overweight, but, um, but when I became determined to lose weight, I was about 130 pounds, and in five months, I dropped down to about 84 pounds. Really? Wow. Yeah. And um, so at that point, I, I couldn't really even cheer anymore, which is what I yeah. had done it for. Um, I was and so I'm assuming sickly. your friends and family and even coaches were probably noticing oh, yeah. something's really you know going wrong yeah, here. Yeah, very much so. So did anyone approach you? Did you say something about it to anyone at this point, or...? Well, because because I was on cheer and that was very noticeable to the school, mm-hmm. the school did start having people come in and talk to the girls about eating disorders and things like that. And that was really embarrassing to me because I felt like all the eyes were on me. Everybody knew. Wow. You know, I used to um, send, instead of uh, going home in my carpool, I would send my backpack home in my carpool and 
walk the two or three miles home oh, really? for that extra exercise for the extra, every day. Really? <laughs> and, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so I was very obsessive about it. And I can, I can remember um, people that I didn't know very well that would stop me on my walk home, and they'd be like, hey, Madeline. I'd say, yeah, and they'd go, are you like anorexic or something? And, and I just like, wanted to crawl under a rock. Yeah, and, like how do you even respond yeah, to that yeah. at that age, right? What do you even yeah. say? Yeah. So, so you're, so now you're knowing that people are noticing you, mm-hmm. which makes it even worse, yes. right? Yeah, oh, because wow. at that point, I really just wanted to disappear. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I can just, only imagine. But that was my first experience with addiction. Mm. Um, was my eating disorder, sure. and come to find out many years later that that's really common for mm-hmm. um, people with eating disorders to then transition into drug use right. and. and uh, alcohol abuse and things like that. Yeah, and didn't didn't that anorexia, uh, anorexia lead to like a hospitalization yes. or things like that? Talk about yeah. that. So I was hospitalized for 118 days wow. in, in Tucson. Um, Tells you how serious it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at first I was being tube fed. Mm. So it was, you know, that bad um, to where they had to insert a tube that went up my nose and down my throat into my stomach and they would pump um highly nutritious yeah. uh fluids into me get the calories because in my there, body yeah. was my body had gotten to the point where regular food didn't sit well with me right uh, anymore and um wow yeah so so that was quite the experience um i really fought that the whole way um i i learned that's really where i learned to manipulate and be really sneaky and mm. stuff too. I don't okay. feel like I had ever been a manipulator or, or a sneaky yeah. little kid before that. And I learned to be through my eating disorder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which are behaviors of someone that feels some shame about what they're doing. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which again, unfortunately you were going through that. So so here you are at 10 feeling some depression. It leads to anorexia you, mm-hmm. to where you're hospitalized. Mm-hmm. So as you get past that, at least to the hospitalization, I know that that's when you were introduced to some other things, and so kind of just take us to that that transition. I would say probably around the age of six, between sixteen and seventeen. Um, you know, I had really lost the bulk of my friends through my eating disorder. They all kind mm. of thought I was weird. They didn't really know oh, how to wow. approach me anymore. Right. I didn't have the same personality, and I wasn't fun like I had been before. Been before, yeah. And um, so. So when I was in, when I got into high school and started kind of making some new friends, um, the kids that invited me to be a part of their circle were kids that smoked pot and drank and partied and, you know, but they were all the Mormon kids Mm. that were kind of the Jack Mormon kids. And I, I thought to myself, well, they're really daring and they're really like, (laughs) you know, they're not goody two shoes and I didn't want to be known as this. Oddly enough, I didn't want to be known as this goody two shoes, little Mormon anorexic girl. Like, you know, I, I wanted to be fun again. I wanted to fit in somewhere. For sure. And And at that age, it's so critical to, we all want to fit in. We want yeah. to be accepted. That's exactly. a big thing for us when we're that age. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, so I would say that um, that my junior year in high school was probably when I started smoking pot and, mm. and drinking alcohol. And um, everybody thought I was really fun at the parties. And, you know, and and I started to become really rebellious. And, yeah. uh And... Fast forward 
uh, my senior year, I was introduced to uh, methamphetamines for the first oh, time. Man. And of course, it was appealing to me at the time, um, the whole not wanting to eat factor. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and so that was probably the biggest drive in me choosing to try it. And I also noticed that when I used drugs, when I drank or used drugs, my eating disorder was no longer part of my thought process. Yeah. I didn't worry about that kind of stuff. And, you know, you go to any other, like, uh, get together of, like, kids that are not um, acting out. Yeah. And everything's revolved around food and party and whatever. (laughs) But when you party with people that are in the party crowd... It's all around drugs yeah. and alcohol. Yeah, there's no food out. Right. <laughs> where are the refreshments? Yeah, there's no appetizers. Here's yeah. our appetizers. Yeah. And yeah, it's usually we're just getting high. Right. Yeah. Right. So I didn't have people noticing whether I was eating or not eating. Mm, gotcha. You know, so. so probably some form of a relief. Yeah. Like, you know what? I actually feel somewhat comfortable here. I Yeah, I really actually did. Yeah, man. Yeah, I can, I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about my own childhood. I can so relate with just, again, feeling comfortable, how how much that means. And if I feel mm-hmm. comfortable, even though maybe I'm going down maybe the wrong road, mm-hmm. we, we we don't think of it that way at the time. Right. Right? Right. So at this point, does, does, does your family know, I guess your mom and dad know that you're doing any of this? Are you, that um, you're struggling in that they, area? They definitely saw a shift in my behavior and mm-hmm. in my attitude. And in, um, I had always been very much a, a pleaser uh, mm-hmm. before. And all of a sudden I was being rebellious yeah. and, you know, arguing with them and talking back and not coming home when I'm supposed to. And, mm. you know, yep. So they're seeing a shift in the way you're treating yeah. your, them now. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, you're, mm-hmm. you're rebelling. Yeah. Yeah. And probably in the way that I looked too, you know, yeah. I mean, I would, I would come home high. I would come home drunk or hungover or whatever, wow. and, you know, or they'd get called by the, by the cops. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So do you feel like, you know, meth is like, I mean, you hear a lot of times from clients and even Dave will say is I mean, it's like the finding, it's like the devil, meaning it, it's, it takes you down this road that Absolutely. you can't even imagine what you're going to get yourself into because of this yeah did you find that happening or you know I I dropped out of high school like like four months before I was supposed to graduate Mm. because I got in trouble for going out and partying not coming home whatever and uh so I decided to run away and move in Mm. and and stay with a drug dealer and his girlfriend oh really yeah and um (laughs) really a really fast change in events you know and so I just never went back to school. I did soon after get my get my GED, but um, I was only snorting meth at that point in time, and I didn't love the way that snorting it made me feel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like a year or two later when I, because uh, I did stop for a little while. Oh, okay. Um, because I got pregnant, mm. and so I stopped, okay. and I got pregnant, and, and and I had my first child um, when I was nineteen. Um, wow. but when she was about a year and a half old. Um, I had been, I had been sober at that point for about two years. Okay. Um, maybe a little over two years. And was it the pregnancy that kind of made you go, you know what? I got to do yeah, something different. Yeah. Here. As a matter of fact, okay. I thought that she was going to save my life. Oh, wow. you know, Oh, this is my whole reason yeah. to turn around. Sure. This is, you know, God sent me this, this baby. Yeah. Um, and through my eating disorder, you know, a lot of the time that can actually 
change your ability to have kids. So mm. I thought, okay, um, yeah. God has God has sent me this baby, and it's yeah. going to help me change my life. And now I have a new focus, and now, I, you know, I'm good. I'm going to be good from here, from yeah. here on out. But when she was about two, I was, um, I had found myself back into kind of the drinking crowd and this and that, and I was inter- introduced for the first time to smoking meth. Oh man! And that was a whole new ball game for yeah. me. Right. That was that was a whole other level. Yep. And uh, yeah, so that became a problem for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Man, what a I mean, in a, such a short period of time, and, and many people listen to this can relate because you, it's it's a, it's fa- always fascinates me how quickly we can, like I guess quote unquote, blow up our lives. Mm-hmm. Right. It happens really fast. It happens so fast. Um, I you know. This is a little different, but kind of relating like like trust can be broken in an instant, like in an instant, and then to build it back up, right? It's so long takes forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like, and it's just you know, and again, it's unfortunate it's that way, but obviously you were hurting on so many levels, and uh, so you were you scared at all though when you were pregnant? I mean, you're still you're still a kid yourself. I was still a kid, yeah. I mean, were you like going, even though it felt like, hey, this is an answer, God's given me a chance. Yeah. Did, were there parts of you or, or thoughts of uh, thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, I'm, I don't know. Maybe. You know, I, I don't know that I was scared. I think I was, I was excited about it. Okay. Um, and again, I thought that this was going to give me a purpose. Yeah. And, um. You know that only lasts for so long as the as the baby's an infant and needs you constantly. But as they get a little bit older and they're a little more uh, yeah. self reliant and they can do things and yeah. they go and stay the night at grandma and grandpa's or you know yeah. all of that it it changes a little bit again and and you and I found myself having this freedom and freedom wasn't good for me. Yeah, <laughs> I found bad things to do with any free time that I had. So are, at this point, are you still living with the drug dealer and her, no, his girlfriend? No, that or? was that was a short-lived thing. That was just short. Okay. That was a short-lived thing. Okay. Um, a couple of months maybe, and um, and so I moved back home with my parents while I was pregnant. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting a little discombobulated. No, you're good. No, no, no. I'm. This is more. I'm just. I'm just trying to you know figure out if that was still going on or. Yeah. No, you're you're doing great. No, my parents were very very loving and very supportive. Um, and and let me move back home and that's where I carried out my pregnancy and had my daughter and we lived with, we lived with my parents until she was about a year and a half old. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then eventually, it, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, you, you get married. Yes. I got pregnant again. Got pregnant again. Yes. Okay. Um, and I married the guy who taught me how to, s- to smoke meth. Mm. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. So talk about that. I mean, I, I mean, I guess at the time you thought, okay, this is maybe the best thing or the right thing to do, but. Well, again, this was another relationship I was getting. This was the second relationship I was getting into that was born out of using drugs together. Yeah. And that's, So it's already starting off toxic. Right, right, exactly. It, yeah. And, and so I'm sure that most people that are listening and most of us that have lived this lifestyle have been in relationships multiple times throughout yeah. our lives that were born out of using together. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of your initial connection is using together. Right. And wow. So, so how did that go? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> unbelievably, we were actually together for 17 years. We wow. were, we were married for 20. 
Um, wow, but together time. for 17 years, yeah. but, um, but throughout that 17 years that we were together, we probably went in and out of addiction together at least four different times where we would use together for anywhere between a year or two straight wow. all day, every day together, you know, and then we would, something would happen and we'd decide, oh, we're going to get clean yeah. and we would straighten up and we would go back to church. Yeah. And you know, that to me for a, for a long time, uh, in my life, I always equated getting clean with going back to church and straightening mm. up my life. Like I kind of thought that was the only way to do it. And right. that was the only way to sh- prove to my mom and dad yeah. that I was doing well was if I went back to church and was act- sure. active in the church. Sure. I didn't, I wasn't really aware of all of the programs out there and, yeah. uh, and a, of a recovery community, yeah. you know, that could be a good support to me. For sure. Well, there's obviously some deep psychological things going on, some mental health things, all that mm-hmm. stuff, which again, connecting with uh, a religion or a high, you know, have a connection with a higher power right. is really important. Right. I mean, we both know that on right. some level, it's really good, but it, it, but, it, but it doesn't give every answer to maybe the things that you were struggling with specifically. Right. right? right. Cause again, you had a long list of things that were going on. So you're in this marriage, you guys are using a ton I would imagine things blew up, meaning you probably started doing more drugs and talk about how that opened up another well, factor in all this. Meth was our was our biggest problem in the beginning um, and in the first few years. But then um, in 2003, when I got, uh, or two, end of 2002, when I got pregnant with our third child, um, that was the last time that I used meth for 11 years. Oh, wow. So I just always okay. told myself, yeah. I always told myself, well, I can, I can use other things as long as it's not meth. I'm yeah. Good. <laughs> I hear that one often. <laughs> you know, as long as I don't go back to meth, yeah. I'm still okay. Right. So I did stay completely sober for about five years at that point. Okay. Um, and I was, you know, active in the church. I'm doing these quotation marks yeah. with my fingers, you know, active <laughs> in the church and and uh, thought, you know, if I just make it to the temple, and and for somebody that that grew up in the church, they're gonna they're gonna understand this. But yeah. you know, if I just make it through the temple and make my family a forever family, yeah. you know, that's um, the answer. That's yeah. the answer, and I'll no longer be tempted by mm-hmm. you know these other things in life, and yeah. and I'll just know with assurance that what I'm doing is right, and blah blah blah. But that's not how it happened for me. So. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I stayed sober off of everything for about five years. Then I slowly started integrating. So my hu- my ex-husband uh, was a drummer in a band. Oh, okay. And that's not what he did for a living, but he did it every weekend, mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, usually for m- most of our life, he would play gigs on the weekends. Uh, oh, okay. And so that always put us in environments yeah. where, you know, we were in bars and we were at parties yep. and we were at all these... Yeah places so I was only going to stay sober for so long when we keep putting ourselves in those environments yeah for sure and so um about five years in I started drinking again and that was around when I found pain pills Mm. so um I kind of discovered those by accident through having uh, an oral surgery and then having my gallbladder removed and then having a couple of other cysts removed in a very short win- window of time where I was on pain pills multiple times oh, over okay. a several month period. Yeah. And, but I knew right away as soon as I 
tried the pain pills, you know, the first time, this could be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I and liked it knew. way too much. Yeah. I liked it way too much. I was already thinking the first few pills in, how am I going to get more? I need to call yeah. my doctor and tell him I'm going to need more. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and, but I felt like super mom when I was on pain yeah. pills. I could do anything and everything. And, you know. That's the scary thing about it. I hear, we hear this story yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. Where it's like, where has this been all my life? Yeah. I feel like I can do things now. Yeah. And, and that's the scary part. And although that's true in those moments, but it's, mm-hmm. it's actually this big lie. Absolutely. Because what, you know, what that ends up leading up to, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I became, I became a functioning addict on these pain pills mm-hmm. for a number of years. Yeah. I would say five years I was a functioning addict. Man. Um, taking a reasonable amount (laughs) when I say (laughs) when I say reasonable reasonable, it's because it became unreasonable later yeah right um and that's when I was still orally taking the pills Mm, um when I transitioned to snorting the pills and they were no longer you know fives or tens or fifteens they were Mm -hmm. 30 milligram percocet percocets and I was um snorting them you know snorting 10 to 15 of them a day Oh, it was man. and drinking alcohol with it. I it was no longer yeah. manageable. Yeah, things are now out I of control. I was not a functioning yeah. addict at this no, point. No longer functioning, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So, and and you're still married to your ex at this yes. point. Yes. Okay. And so this is still going on because of our because mm-hmm. of our previous behavior of using together. Yeah. Um, we took on using the pills together as mm-hmm. well because okay. for whatever reason using drugs together was a bonding thing for us. And then we just kind of supported each other in our bad habits and we couldn't judge each other because we're both doing it. Yeah. You're doing it too. Yeah. 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 So what are you going to say? Yeah. And again, I totally get what you're saying, but think about how, I mean, how sad that is on on the level, like anyone listening to this, where we get to that point where it's normal for the couple to snort some opiates. Yes, (laughs) I know. I mean, that becomes the norm. And it, and again, it's a very common story. And, and again, I get why people yeah. get to that point. Yeah. But when we're sitting here, when you think of, a, you know, you look back on that, you're how going, unhealthy. wow, how did you get there? Yeah. You know? I didn't hold him to a very high, high yeah. standard and he didn't hold me to a very high standard. Yeah. And, you know, we got comfortable in our addictions together. Yeah. Dang. So, so what, what led to you? Because I know eventually, if I'm not mistaken, you found yourself going to treatment. I did. So let's, what, how did that happen? And then, you know, take us from, to that point. Okay. So in, in 2013, the wheels fell off with my marriage and our family. We were no longer paying our bills. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just buying pills. You know, we were wow. probably going through, wow. I don't know, between a thousand and two thousand dollars worth of pills a week. Um, because at that point they had kind of pulled back on prescriptions. Whereas before we were able to buy other people's entire prescriptions of like 180 pills at a time, you know, and whatever. But, but at this point they're cracking down on doctors that are prescribing large amounts. And so pills are becoming harder and harder to get and you can't get them for a good deal. You're paying $30 a pill. Yeah, it's really pricey. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, we, uh, my husband lost his job that he'd had for about 15 years. Um, and we cashed out his 401k. Oh, man. And we went through his entire 401k of like $35,000 in like two and a half months. Oh, man. Yeah. 
And then the money was gone. The drugs were gone. We hated each other. Yeah. And we're not being functioning um, people at all. We're not being parents. We're not being, you know, our kids are still living at home, but but we're being totally neglectful. Now, we never abused our kids. Um, Our kids never went without, you know, food and a nice home to live in, right. you know, like, like all from the outside, it didn't look like that. Right. But, but our kids were definitely being neglected because um, sure. we were totally caught up with our own addictions. Yeah. And at that point we started fighting like crazy. Like it, it became uh, like something out of a movie because we'd never been really ones to fight before that. Yeah. And then it became physical. Wow. We were physically really? fighting each other. Mm. We were, you know, the cops were getting called every other day. And, oh my gosh. You know, so our, so our family fell apart. Um, I immediately moved in with another guy that was a friend of ours that I was using with yeah. as well. Um, and um, my kids went to grandma and grandpa's. Now, when I moved in with the other guy, it was going to be a temporary thing. I was going to get my shit together. Right. Yeah. You know, again, yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting my fingers Air up quotes. in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was going to get my shit together. Like, like the kids go to grandma and grandpa's. My oldest daughter went to live with friends and, uh, and I was basically like, give me a couple weeks, give me 30 days to get it together and I'll come back for the kids. Yeah. Well, the next four years. I just spiraled downhill and so did, so did Brandon. Brandon had gotten back on meth at that point. Mm. And when I moved in with this other guy and pills were hard to come by, I was then introduced to heroin. Mm. And I had never seen heroin before. I was 37 years old. I'd never even seen it. Yeah. So, you know, of course, that whole mentality of like, well, at least it's not blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, back when I was doing pills, I was (laughs) thinking to myself, well, at least I'm not doing heroin. Yeah. And now wow. I'm doing heroin and meth. I, wow. I started, I mean, once you're doing heroin, what does the meth matter anymore? Right. I had already ruined you right. know, my yeah. family and our oh lives and all that kind of stuff. So I spent the next three years um, kind of living in lots of different places, um, living in motel rooms, um, some nights having nowhere to stay and so sleeping in the park and things like that and wow. kind of dragging around our little suitcases and whatever from place to place and um, I had lost my driver's license at this point and my car had been repossessed so my my uh, mode of transportation was either a bicycle which I would inevitably pawn and you know lose or rollerblades so (laughs) yeah that was that was how this 37 year old woman was getting around Everywhere it was. It's just so shocking because, like, you know, people could see you right now. They're like, "This is the woman who's going yeah. through all this." Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't fit. But I it know. just shows how horrible yeah. addiction is. Yeah. How horrible! Like, can you imagine saying, "Well, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to get around <laughs> on rollerblades, and I'm going to live in the park." Yeah. No, I can remember and, seeing oh people gosh. out on the yeah. street. You know, before that, and I would, I would literally say out loud, "How do people let it?" get to that point (laughs) like how do you let that happen how do you lose everything right how do you leave your family like i always told myself i would never let myself get to that point i would never let myself get to that right well one choice after the next i found myself at that point at that point yeah and the first year of using heroin i just smoked it again you know i'm just smoking it So hear that you know, a lot too. I'm still above yes. above all of those. I'm that, above the that needle users, it. yeah. But the last couple of years of using, I was injecting, mm. and I was probably injecting 
anywhere from a gram to three grams a day. And I was on methadone at that point. So I went to the methadone clinic thinking that this was going to help me get yeah. off of Yeah, heroin, you would think. Right? <laughs> and and yeah. I can remember crying the day I went in there because I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to give up heroin yet. Mm. And they said, oh, honey, we don't expect you to stop right away. We actually expect you to keep using for a while. And I thought, You're like, what? that's permission. Yeah. Yeah, you that's take that permission. as permission. Thanks for the permission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I thought, oh, they don't expect me to stop right away. Man. But I thought that the longer I was on the methadone, the less I would want the heroin. But now I'm just becoming dually addicted Yeah. to the methadone, the heroin, benzos, whatever you've got for me, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. And... Yeah, and it just, again, kept spiraling down and down. But yes, you're <laughs> to go way back to your question about no, eventually getting uh, getting help, I just wanted to kind of give you no, a story of you, yeah. uh, the background of, of the last few years that really was where I hit rock bottom. For sure. No, I'm glad you shared that part because I want our listeners to know that's how bad things had gotten. Yeah. I mean, yeah. again, I'm trying to picture you doing that. It, was it a just nightmare. I can't even imagine. Okay, so get this. Uh, during one of my benzo induced I don't know I mean I was on everything at this point the heroin the methadone benzos whatever I went into a blackout for three days Mm. I shaved my head really I came to three days later not you know I'd been functioning this whole time but had no memory of anything but it's all blocked out it's all blocked out and I had shaved my head during that time I mean I was such a mess I was such a mess you wouldn't even recognize if you saw pictures of me from Do you have a picture of those? (laughs) You know what? I don't. I don't. Uh, So everything from that period of time in my life and before got lost because I I lost everything I'd ever. Yeah. You know, we had owned homes together. mm. We had we had actually owned one home for 10 years um, and accumulated lots of nice things that we'd worked for while we were doing really well. Yeah. Right. Kind of stuff. Well, you know, all that stuff went into storage when, when we fell apart and then yeah. we didn't pay our storage bill. So, so everything, so it gets to auction from, eventually and yeah, people just, so everything yeah. from that period wow. of time in our life, you know, any of the cameras that had family f- digital cam, uh, cameras gone. that had family photos or yeah. anything like that, our computer that had Jeez. all of our family photos, everything from, from before that time is gone. Wow. So you shave, you're there, there you are, your head's shaven, you blacked out. Mm-hmm. When, how do you get out of that? Mm-hmm. What happened? <laughs> well, you know, at that point, I really wanted to die. And I was really yeah. mad that I wasn't dying. You mm-hmm. know, I kind of kept thought, thinking with every shot that I was doing, maybe this yeah. will be it. Maybe this will maybe be the one. Maybe this will be it, yeah. And um, there was a part of me that actually was so distorted mentally that I thought that I was actually dead and in hell and nobody would tell me already. Whoa. This is why I'm not dying. Yeah. Because I'm already dead and in hell. This is my hell. This is my hell. This gave me chills. Right? So, so I didn't have any spark of hope or anything like that. And I really just wanted to have some hope. Yeah. So I couldn't even like envision a future without drugs like first of all if i got clean i wasn't going to get my family back right i wasn't going to get my family back it wasn't going to go back to how it had been years before right like even when it was good during those good times of years before i wasn't going to get any of that back so what am i getting sober for you know and uh that's a scary place to be yeah right that is hell yeah it really was (laughs) it really was being separated from all the ones that you love and and yeah. 
And I hear this a lot too with a lot of my clients where they'll say, it was so bad that I would get mad that I didn't die. Oh yeah. They wake up from whatever that, uh, whatever they did and Mm -hmm. whatever they put in their body and they're upset. Like, why am I not dying? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That paints a picture there. Wow. Yeah. I, um, I don't share this really ever, but, um, but there was a point where, where I did want to die so badly that, um, that I would tie an electrical cord around my neck when I was shooting up so that if the shot didn't kill me, I would maybe hang myself or asphyxiate myself. Yeah. So yeah, that's not something I like to share, but I wanted out of that. I really wanted out of that. Yeah. No, thank you. I know that's hard to talk about those things, but I think it's important because it's painting a picture of how low things got for Mm -hmm. you, Mm -hmm. you know, and anyone listening to this who has a loved one who's struggling, you know, um, can relate obviously, or if they've gone through that themselves. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, that's why it's all the more amazing where you're at today, even (laughs) to be honest, it's like, it's a miracle. Yeah. I look back at that and I think that's like, that was a nightmare. And was that really even me? Like it didn't feel like me at the time. Yeah. It didn't, you know, I thought like, I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. Because even through all of the other troubles and things like that, really, especially when I it, when I talk to other people in uh, you know at Tosa or whatever, and I yeah. find out about what their lives were like growing up, I think to myself, "Holy cow! I yeah. had a really good life compared yeah. to a lot of these people. Like they have a lot of reasons and excuses as to how maybe they, you know, sure. turned out how they did because they come from parents like that and everything. Yeah. I don't have those kinds of excuses. Yeah. And I really comparatively had a really good life. Yeah. A lot of my problems or all of my problems were inside my own head. Wow. Yeah. I'll often say to my clients, you don't have a drug or a drinking problem. You have a thinking problem. Mm-hmm. I had, okay. I very much so had a thinking problem Yeah. and right. I had a victim mentality mm. and I yeah. had a blaming mentality and yeah. I could, you know, yeah. I very much so I, I didn't know how to take accountability Yeah. Wow. for anything. For anything. No. Well then, so how, I mean, again, so how did you find yourself, you know, you're at the lowest of lows. What happened then and how did you move so I was on kind of, that? I was kind of half-heartedly trying to get myself, um, <laughs> I was trying to get a grant to get into one of those kind of a passages Malibu kind of, kind of places. I want to drink that's smoothies. Exactly yeah. how I, that's exactly how I pictured it, you yeah, know? That and would be so nice. I was trying to get a grant to get into one of those programs awesome. and it was, it was in California and it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I so I was, it. I was working with this guy that, uh, you know, was supposedly going to try and, uh, apply for these grants for me to get into this place and there was going to be yoga and there was going to be horseback riding and there was going to be oh oh not only that they were going to hook me up to some ivs for like three days and basically put me out so that i didn't feel the withdrawals so that they could kind of like clean out my system and yeah. I could sleep through the withdrawals. I yeah. mean, that sounded amazing yeah, to me. Yeah, how good is that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to suffer through all that? Yeah, Great. I know. I know. So that was yeah. pretty much what I was looking for. <laughs> um, now, in hindsight, I'm so yeah. glad that's not how it worked yeah. out for me. Well, of course, that didn't work out. And so um, my parents called um, one night, and here I am living in this motel. I'd been living in a weekly motel at Ugh. that point for about 15 months. Yeah. And... Uh, my parents called and they said, uh, pack your stuff. Your, uh, Neen is going to come and pick you up. Neen was my ex-mother-in-law. 
So okay. my former husband's mom. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and she's the one that had had my two younger kids for the last several okay. years. <clears throat> and um, and my mom said, uh, Neen's going to come and get you at noon tomorrow. And she's going to take you and put you on a flight to come here to Salt Lake City. We found a program to put you in. And so, you know. And I, were you willing or were you fighting that? Were you? Oh, uh, well, I had, I, you know, I was, I was willing, but only if my mom would also give me enough money to get enough drugs to make me willing to get on the plane. Oh, man. So you know, there was. There yeah. was kind of a mani- manipulation, manipulation factor in that pe- as factor, well. Yeah. So you, you do know, this for me, I'll right, do that for right, you. Right. Yeah. So she sent some money to my daughter, and my oldest daughter at the time was like mm, nineteen or twenty, and she brought me the money and took me to get my last big, you know, yeah. dose of drugs that I mm. needed, and that would get me through the night and on to the, you know be high enough to get onto the plane and make yeah. it here. And wow. Yeah. So I came to Salt Lake City. Um, in March on, I would say March 10th of 2016. And little did I know then that my parents were not going to even let me know where they lived. So they moved, they moved during this time from Arizona to Utah. They said that, you know, your addiction is going to put us in an early grave. We cannot be around you. We're not going to, you know, so they had moved during this time, but they would not let me know where they lived. They would not let me come to their house. Nothing. Dang. So, yeah. Good for them. I know, right? That was the first time ever Good that they them. really set boundaries That's a big boundary. like that. Yeah. And it was, in hindsight, it was imperative for me yeah. because at the and time I, I just thought they were being mean. Yeah. And any parent listening to this as a struggling child, those boundaries are critical, even though you're probably thinking, well, that's mean. Yeah. Why you? I can't yeah. even come see you. You won't even yeah. let me. But man, what a tough boundary. But yet, like you said, I love that you point out that that was the best thing you needed at the time. Absolutely. So they took me straight from the airport to the VOA, Volunteers of America Detox. Oh, boy. And um, I actually made them stop on our way there so that I could finish up. Well, kind of finish up. Finish whatever you Mm -hmm, had. mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they took me there. That very, very few memories of them actually, you know, doing the intake there and all that kind of stuff. And I was very awful and rebellious for the next few days. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. I was dragging dragging my mattress from from the bunk room into the bathroom where I could turn out the light. Anyway, needless to say, I ended up getting kicked out of the VOA. (laughs) And that's hard to do, by the way, folks. That's not easy to get kicked out of the VOA. (laughs) Yeah. But that, again, was a huge wake-up yeah. call for me of like, wait a minute, you don't have to just accept my behavior? Yeah. You don't, like, yes, you do. Yeah. yeah. You have to let me be here. Uh, no, we don't. No, we don't. And that See. that was imperative for yeah. me as far as knowing. I, and, and my parents still wouldn't let me take, still wouldn't take me to their house when I got kicked out of the yeah. VOA. Luckily, I had a sister that would let, that let me come and stay in her basement, and yeah. I turned all of my last little bit of paraphernalia and everything yeah. over to her husband as I cried. Yeah. And I spent the next few days detoxing in their basement for oh. real. Yeah. And then they got me into a place called The Haven. Haven, yeah. yes. The Haven. Shout out to The Haven. I love yes. The Haven. Uh, I've actually had the opportunity to speak there a few times. And yeah, yeah, they're great, 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 great people, great place who are really yeah. trying to make a difference for people. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I can't say it was a good experience the first couple of months. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> you know, but, you know, somewhere along the line in there, um, 
I started to get a little spark of hope. Um, I would say that probably, mind you, because I'm coming off of methadone, which is a really long withdrawal. Yep. And I had yeah. been on a really high dose. So between the methadone, the heroin, the meth, which which isn't as much of a physical yeah. um, withdrawal, but, um, and the benzos, my withdrawal was really long. I withdrew for probably about the first 40 days that I was in rehab. Wow. So um, didn't sleep a wink for over three weeks. It was awful. Yeah. Awful, awful, awful. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, listening to other people's stories, seeing other people make changes, looking at people and, and thinking, gosh, I can't even imagine you ever being a drug addict and then yeah. hearing their stories yeah. and where they are today. It sparked a, that little bit of hope that I had mm. wanted so bad yeah, for the yeah. years before. Wow. And, and just this little tiny flame of like, well, maybe, just maybe if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Maybe. Wow. I don't know. Wow. That's amazing. So, yeah. So how how long did you end up staying at the Haven? I was in the Haven for about 98 days. Okay. Um, I say about, like who yeah. was counting, I was counting. <laughs> yeah, I you were probably the, marking yeah. on the wall, there's <laughs> one more day. <laughs> well, and the funny thing was, is like the whole time I was in there, I didn't even unpack because I was I was convinced they were going to kick me out. Mm. <laughs> I, I really yeah. was convinced they were going to kick me yeah. out at some point, you know. Just another and, place that's going to reject mm-hmm, you. And, mm-hmm. and during yeah. most of my stay there, I had a really difficult, difficult time making friends and things like that. Little did I know that a lot of that was my behavior. Right. I thought I was just so yeah. charming and yeah, I thought, what are you talking about? What's wrong with about? me? What's the yeah, deal? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but you know what? It was wonderful that in hindsight that they were so hard on me. Yeah. Because I've seen other people that they weren't very hard on, that they kind of gave the easy ride to mm-hmm. that have not made it yeah. and that have struggled continuously or that have actually passed away because I went through the house um, with about 20 people, probably more that came and went as well, but there were about a solid 20 of us and a quarter of them have passed away. Oh man. Yeah. That's scary. Mm-hmm. But reality. Yeah, it is reality. It's and they told us while they were in there, yeah. they had, um, they had, obituaries on the side of the fridge of all Havenites that uh, had okay. since passed away. Since passed, yeah. And I mean, it was a lot of obituaries on there. And yeah. they said, you know what? Some of you will be on here. And, and you know, that hit me. Like, I don't, I, I don't want, th- I don't want that to be my legacy for my kids. Yeah. I did not want to die a drug addict and I did not want to commit suicide either because, yeah. because of the fact that I felt like forever, anytime my kids are ever asked about their mom, that is what they will say. My mom died because uh, she was a drug addict. My mom killed herself. She was a drug addict. Wow. And and I I didn't want that to be yeah, all they thought of that's me. That's heavy. Heavy. Mm-hmm. Wow. So heavy. Um wow. So so you make it through the Haven 98 days plus and mm-hmm. at this point do you feel like you're on that road of moving forward and and you know, staying clean up to this point. You, you, we mentioned at the very beginning, you've almost got seven years, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, thank so you So that's much. so freaking cool. Again, looking at you, anyone sitting here would look at you and go, that, you were a drug addict? You know, kind of like yeah. what you were doing with other yeah. people. Like, how, yeah. you were? Yeah. How the heck that I'm so happened? glad that people think that today, honestly. Yeah, well, it's because you've obviously turned your life around, yeah. and I think that's the that's the most amazing part of this thing is how you did that. 
Mm. You know, obviously you had people helping you and trying to get you into places, obviously. Right, like right. Your family well, my parents who, basically said, this is your one shot. This if is this it. doesn't work for you, yeah. you're on your own, little girl. Mm. And I knew that they were serious. Yeah. As serious as they had been about not letting mm-hmm. me come to their house, if I didn't make this work, I was going to be out on the street in a place that I don't know yeah. with no money, no belongings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what were what were my choices going to be yeah. like to sell myself? I guess maybe, oh, uh, but then what kind of a life am, am I getting into? So I just held on, you know, by my fingertips, by my fingernails for for that first little while. And then when that spark of hope started coming, I started actually being able to look introspectively and see that the problem was me, yeah, not that the problem was everybody else. And right. I started to be able to see what behaviors in me were undesirable that I needed to change. Yeah. And um so so when I was first there, my only goal was to prove that I could stay clean for 90 days. Mm. My yeah. only goal was just to honestly yeah. and then I didn't have any plans after that. Yeah, like now what? I didn't <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any plans after that. Yeah. Like like I thought, okay, I need to prove that I that I can stay clean for ninety days, and then what? Go back to Mesa, Arizona, to the same motel room and the same boyfriend that I was using with before, and yeah. like stay clean. Yeah, I, you know, how am I going to do that? So, um, somewhere along the line, uh, the option of this uh, female sober sober living house that is just a couple of streets down from the Haven was brought up as an option, and I. Th- at first, I thought, no way could I do that. I am not going to live with a bunch <laughs> yeah. of female drug addicts. And, this is going to be know, crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and somewhere along the line, I decided that that was my only choice and that yeah. I was going to make it work. Yeah. And because they were so hard on me in the Haven yeah. and, you know, pretty much every time I opened my mouth, they would say, shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> shut the fuck up yeah. and listen. Yeah. Sorry about my, my yeah. language, but that's exactly what they would say to yeah, me. You're just- and um, I thought, oh, you're so rude. You're so mean. You won't even let me explain myself. Mm-hmm. Well, little did I realize that all of my explanations were just excuses. Yeah. They didn't want to hear it. They wanted me to listen. As long as I was talking, I wasn't listening. Yeah, right. And so um, because they were hard on me um, and they told me, we know exactly who you are. We know that you're going to go out there. And, and the rec- this sounds so mean, too. But they were probably right. And I'm glad that they told me this the way that they did. They said, you're going to go out in the recovery community and you're going to sleep your way through the the recovery community, trying to find yourself your next victim or your next next person that you're going to get into a toxic relationship with and use with and all that kind of stuff. Find your validation. And I thought, how dare you? (laughs) You know? But then I looked at my history and went, oh, yeah. How dare you, know you tell what? me the truth? I know, exactly. <laughs> right? But, yeah. but nothing but yeah. made me more determined at sure. that time to prove them wrong. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. wow, yeah. And so <laughs> I thought, you know what? For the first time, I love it. I am in a place where nobody knows me. Nobody knows my history. You know, um, nobody knows anybody that I know. Yeah. And I can be whoever I want to be yeah. going from here going forward so i can either go out there and create a reputation for myself in the community or i can go out there and build some character for myself in this community love that and and that's what i chose to do i decided to for the first time ever align myself with the people that i admired Mm -hmm. the people that were doing it right the people that had the lives that were appealing to me the ones that had integrity um 
I decided to align myself with them, to befriend them, to get into their inner circle and basically copied the way that they were living life until I started becoming that myself. Because before I had always aligned myself with the people that were in the gray area, that didn't really want to try, that found their way around rules, that helped each other be less than instead of helping each other be more than. More than. Wow. I love that. So I lived in sober living. Um, a lot of the women were in and out of there uh, mm-hmm. as quickly as they could be. Sure. And then they would fall flat on their faces. Yeah. Well, I looked at this as an opportunity for me to live in a safety bubble yep. yeah. where I was being held accountable, where I had certain expectations of me. Um, I, I had to drug test at least once a week, if not twice a week, randomly. Um, I had to be holding down a full-time job. Yeah, I had to pay all of my own bills and things like that. Um, and I had to go to, I think in the beginning it was like six meetings a week. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then over time it became like four meetings a week. Sure, and sure. Yeah. But, um, but that's what I did. I basically just kept my head down and, it's amazing. and just did the next right thing. And all of those cliches that you hear in the recovery community <laughs> of like, you yeah. know, do the next right thing, do the next right you thing. know, keep it simple, stupid, yeah. and, you know, all of that kind of stuff like that just resonated with me as you know, that was the way that I could keep it simple Yeah, was to just go and do all the things that I needed to do and stay in my lane and keep my side of the yeah. street clean and not worry about what everybody else was doing, but worry about what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and um, that's amazing. And yeah. So the next 16 months I spent living in sober living. I lived there basically as long as I could. Yeah. um, In sober living and 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 we're doing it right. And I was doing it right. Yeah. And again, I I know you weren't perfect because no one is. But what I'm hearing is you 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 made a decision. I did. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to like I love what you said. I'm not going to go create a reputation because yeah. we usually get reputation from doing yeah. the wrong thing. Yeah. I'm actually going to go build and create character right. by doing the right thing. Right. I love right. that. And for those listening, that is a huge decision for all of us. Do you Absolutely. want a reputation or mm-hmm. do you want character? Mm-hmm. So I really love that. That yeah. you It's just you made that decision saying, you know, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it the right yeah. way. Yeah. Um, uh, well, and I, I started to understand that having respect was uh more important than getting attention yeah you know and and Mm. before that i think i had always been an attention seeker Mm -hmm. Um, yeah get that validation it feels good absolutely yeah even if i wasn't interested in a certain man apparently you know it was brought to my attention again that my body language my eye contact the way that i would talk with with men it was it was for my own validation I wasn't interested in them, but yeah. I was giving off the or I was giving off the impression yeah. that I was, and that was really just to feed my own ego. Yeah. Um, so that totally. was brought to my attention, and I started mm. changing, changing that kind of behavior and being much more aware of yeah. that kind of behavior. Wow. Um, that <clears throat> was imperative for me. So yeah, so I did. I I um, did fully immerse myself in the recovery community in Salt Lake, which is really good, strong. Yes. Recovery community. Yeah, we have a great community out there that are doing a lot of great things for people and themselves. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful to watch. Absolutely. And learning how to have fun yeah. again in in yeah. sobriety yeah. was a whole new a whole new thing, you yeah. know, like and and for the first time on, in my life I'm kind of on my own, yeah. being totally self-reliant, you know, 
working hard, paying all of my own bills, working hard to get not only, okay, so I didn't have um, a driver's license or any ID of any of right. any sort. I didn't have a yeah. birth certificate. I didn't have a social security card. I didn't have anything. So, um, and it was really hard to get because of across state lines, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff, getting, getting the proper documentation when you have nothing. Yeah to start getting the proper do- documentation was difficult. Luckily, I um, ended up getting myself a job at a restaurant um, called Ruby River Steakhouse in mm-hmm. downtown Salt Lake City. Yeah. Uh, it was within walking distance of my sober living house. And um, and when I walked in there, I basically told the manager that, that was um, interviewing me, I said, look, I just got out of, I just got out of rehab. Um, I've got 98 days clean. I've got to get a job. I'm living in sober living. I haven't had a job now for over four years and I have no identification. (laughs) Please give me a chance. Please. please. And he did. Wow. And he did. He said, okay, I'm going to give you a shot and you have the next couple of months to get all your ducks in a row and Uh get your identification and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to give you a shot. And I'm actually still there at that same restaurant today. Wow. (laughs) That is amazing. I know. know. That is so cool. Seriously, that is so cool. Chokes me up, honestly. <clears throat> mm. It's amazing, and, and like we said, coming up on seven years clean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a few years. Back in two thousand seventeen is when you met Dave. Yes. You know your your yes. husband today. Yes. Who is the executive director of the Other Side Academy, and you both live on campus now. We do together, obviously. <laughs> we do. Um, so you're constantly uh, revolving around that recovery community, yes. which is amazing, by the way. And it, it's it's second to none. It, I mean, it's something nobody would even understand nope. unless you go there. What I'll a tell you, place it is. I, I say this all the time, and I know I, I I'm only there every now and then when I speak. But the moment I step my foot on that property, there's some something about oh. it. There's a feeling there mm-hmm. that is like it's palpable. You can feel it. You can. It's amazing, yes. and then and the people there, and the energy in the room, and again, there's a bunch of people there who have blown up their lives, who are, yeah, doing what you are doing, mm-hmm. building character, yeah, absolutely, doing the next right thing, and doing that again and again and again, right? Yes, and they have yeah. that peer accountability uh, yeah. component that is so incredible there, yeah. you know, where they're yeah. called in the moment on their behaviors, you know, in real time so they can recognize that. And, you know, I thought, man, they, they really get a chance to (laughs) grow in a way that most people don't when you kind of have to do do it on, when you kind of have to do it on your own and you don't have other people taking you by the hand and walking step by step. I mean, what, I, I always say that, that people that get to go to Tosa hit the lottery of life transformation. Amen to that. You know? Amen to that. I feel the exact same way. We'll even send people from Wasatch where I'm at down there because we'll go, you know what? You need way more work. Yeah. This is the place you need to go to. So we refer people there all the time. And I agree with you. Jackpot. When you go there, you hit the freaking jackpot and to be able to rub shoulders with Dave and yourself and everyone down there. Such an amazing thing. Yeah. So here's, here's my question um, to kind of maybe wrap this all together. And I like to ask this question. If if there's someone listening to your voice right now who's in that hopeless state, they're they're feeling dark, they're lonely, they're they're stuck, what would you tell that one person right now who's listening to you? One, I've been where you are and 
being stuck is a really scary feeling, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. but you're not, you're not stuck. I, um, yeah. I definitely felt like I was, and sure. I'm sure that whoever's listening feels like they are, but there is help out there. And, and even just getting involved in, um, in support groups of some sort, uh, or, or recovery communities, you know, where you can find, um, someone that has found that hope and has, has found the tools that have helped them. Um, and you can latch on to that. You too can make changes in your life. None of us, none of us are stuck where we are. If really just the desire to be unstuck is enough. Yeah. Honestly. Sure. If you don't have that desire, well, then you have a few more steps to, yeah. to, to find. You're not you fully know, at rock bottom. But you yet. have to yeah. want it. Yeah. You have to really want it. And you have to want to change your life more than you want to get high. Wow. Ooh. That's great advice. Yeah. Seriously, that is great advice. And yeah, well said. I won't even add to that because I think that's perfect. You know, if, if there's someone that wants to reach out to you and maybe ask you a question or if you're comfortable with yeah, that, is, you know, or if they want to know more about you or even know more about what you and Dave do um, with the Other Side Academy and all that fun stuff, what would be the best way for someone to do that? Um, probably I have a Facebook under Mandy DeRocher. Okay. Um, M-A-N-D-I-D-U-R-O-C-H-E-R. Yeah. Um, send me a friend wo- friend request, or I would be happy to um, give my phone number out for those that maybe want to listen. I don't know it's how that works. It's up to you. I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> how about if I give out my husband's phone number? Yeah, we'll give um, Dave's number. <laughs> uh, no, I, w- I would be fine with, with sure. people um, okay. emailing me. Okay, yeah, what's your email? Let's my, do that. Yeah, my email is um, daveandi2018 at gmail.com. That's D-A-V-A-N-D-I. There's no E in the Dave. D-A-V-A-N-D-I 2018 at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. Can awesome. I share another another little cute note with you? Yeah, please. Um, when I was living in my sober living house mm-hmm. um, and I walked to and hu- to and from work for the first year and a half because yeah. I didn't have a driver's license and stuff like that. And I, I still needed to work to be able to get my license reinstated and I didn't have a car and all that. I walked to and from work every single day and I walked past the other side academy. Really? And I walked past the building that I now live in. No way. And every day, <laughs> as time went on, um, every day those walks for me became walks of gratitude. Mm. So I would always tell myself, too, that I can't be depressed and I can't be unhappy if I'm st- in a state of gratitude. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So these walks, I would find myself just <clears throat> being grateful for that tree and grateful for the beauty that surrounds me and grateful for the life that I now get to live. Mm. Grateful that I get to walk to work. Yeah. And grateful that I get to rebuild my life and all of these things, you know. But I can also remember walking past, uh, past Hosa and seeing the mansion. No way. <laughs> and I That's could see through ironic. the windows and I could see their promises and their beliefs. Yeah. And I could see, and I thought, oh, that's some kind of a treatment center. I bet they do meetings there. I should go there. You yeah, know? right, yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> but I can remember thinking that, and I can remember walking past the building that I now live in and being super drawn to it. Yeah. 
I didn't know why at the time, but being sure. super drawn to it and thinking I loved the doors and I wondered what it looked like inside and I wondered what people's lives were like in there. And I kind of used that as my, like I thought, okay, if I just keep doing this next right thing every day and I just keep on this path and I don't give in to anything that's momentary pleasure and I stay yeah. honest and, you know, live integrity, what will my life be like in five years? Can I have a life like these people here? Can I have a life like yeah. that person over there? Oh like my gosh. if I just stay yeah. the course and I just keep doing what I'm, you know, five years seems like so long. Yeah. But what could my life be like in five years? And I can remember just thinking that in the beginning, like it's so far away. But yeah. really, my life started getting really good at about two years which two years is not that long. That's not long considering how long you've been going through this. And I mean, I would say that it was even good within that two yeah, years. Yeah, for sure. Comparatively to oh. how I'd been living before. Yeah. But like it started really just kind of getting good. And having Dave in my life, um, yeah. we didn't really touch on that. Um, but him coming into my life in, in 2017, right when I'd gotten custody back of my youngest daughter and mm. was finishing raising her. Yeah. It was such a wonderful strength and partnership to be in this really healthy relationship of two people that are helping each other build each other yes. to be better people than getting you know than all of the relationships i'd been in yeah. before that the exact we, opposite uh, exact opposite man so it was wonderful to yeah. parent her with him and allow her to have this really wonderful strong loving father figure that was you know yeah. A good example in her life those For last sure. few years of, oh gosh, of, of raising incredible. her. And that, yeah. was, that was really um, uh, a special blessing and experience in our life to Absolutely. finish doing that. So Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was blessed to be at your guys' wedding. Mm. One of the best weddings I think I've ever been to in my entire life. Sure. Not just because I knew the both of you and just I loved both of you guys and what you do, but just... Uh, you know, the, the all the other side Academy people there and Dave coming up in his Harley. And it was pretty special. I mean, it was like, this is this is how they all should be yes. right here. And just, mm -hmm. and the words that were spoken by Joseph Granny, who were unbelievable. Matter of fact, I asked him, can I get a copy of what you said at their wedding? Uh -huh. He, I've got it right here. I love it. And I will I share it. it from time to time with mm -hmm. the clients here. Like when he talked about grace and choice. Mm, yes. Unbelievable. Yes. I was like, what the heck yeah. is this? This is amazing. So anyway, um, I know we could talk for four more hours. There's so much more. We could I talk know. about just you and Dave for another I know. couple. I would love I know. to, we have the I would most love to do that. Life. I know. I would love to do that. Maybe we need, to, you know, it'd be cool to bring you both on. You know what? That would be so Let's fun. do that. I would love I'm that. Dead I was serious. really w nervous and worried about this. And I know that I did stumble over my, and get lost uh, you know, in my words a few times, no. but, but that would be really fun. You to did fantastic. You didn't stumble. Yeah. I don't okay. know. You know okay. No, I stumbled in the, yeah. blah, blah, blah. but uh, <laughs> no, you did great. But yeah, I think we should do that. I think that'd be a good contrast to, to have you both on. So we'll, we'll make yeah. that happen. And, but yeah, Mandy, you're, you're an amazing person. Um, you. You're a miracle. Like yeah. truly you are. And I don't mean that lightly, like to, that you're even alive is a Thank miracle. You. And I to see that, that I, you've turned I it around, I know you do. And yeah. just to see you turn it around and again, you're, you have a, a, a beautiful light about you. Thank you. And I think, I think most people who don't know your background will be like, you were a drug addict. Yeah. They're, they've got to be shocked, yeah. but it just goes to show how dangerous and how deceptive Absolutely. and how bad addiction becomes. And it's becomes. not above. None of us are, no none of us are it. above it. Yeah, nope. exactly. You, yeah, never. 
So I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I love your story. I love the way you carry yourself. You know how much what I think of Dave, but you know, it makes me just, you know, I love you guys so much. I hope you know that. I owe absolutely. And Dave loves you so much. I mean, he can't say enough good stuff about you. (laughs) And I'm just glad to finally be getting to know you on a more. Yeah. We're getting to know each other a little bit better and I'm glad we're doing this and I'm glad it's, it's your story today and it was beautiful. It's hard to hear some of it. Let's definitely do a part two or, you know, something like that because I didn't really get into the last seven years of my life, which have been the best years of my entire life. No, We we definitely need to get there and do that. Yeah. So yeah, we will do that. I promise. So thank you. you. And listeners, I told you today was going to be another amazing uh, episode. Uh, Mandy's amazing. Reach out to her. I'll put her um, email and stuff in the show notes. So you'll be able to just hit her up directly. If you have any questions, you can ask me. As always, I tell you, if you have someone in your life who's struggling and you don't know how to talk to him, you're afraid to even talk to him, send him the link to this episode Mm -hmm. and let him listen to Mandy's story. And it will give you a talking point. You reach out to him. Did you listen to her story? And it'll open up a dialogue and you can get him some help. And there's a lot of programs out there. I will help you. Mandy will help you. The Other Side Academy is there to help you. Whatever we can do to help you. So thank you for for supporting this. And again, thank you to my sponsors. And one last thank you to to Mandy. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you.